I'd like to turn you back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. A miracle in stages is what we've entitled the message even tonight. And just with that passage open before us, we'll seek the Lord in a short word of prayer, seeking his help and his blessing. Even tonight, you pray that the Lord will have a word even for your heart. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy mercies toward us. What a privileged people we are. We have the word of God in our own mother tongue. We have a little house where we can meet in a public fashion such as this. To worship and praise thee, our living God. We can sing our praises unto thee. We can come around thy word. Lord, we consider tonight there are many in this world who have not yet heard the message of the gospel once. Many who know not anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that, Lord, I would accept of our humble thanks for what a privileges, what privileges in the gospel we have enjoyed in Ulster. And in this very part of the vineyard, we pray that I would come alongside us just now, praying, Lord, that thy spirit would brood over this congregation. I would give help, Lord, in the pulpit. I would give help in the pew. Lord, I would be glorified tonight. We pray, Lord, thou would help us as we come into this passage. Bring us, Lord, as it were, into this very scene. Give us understanding. Oh, God, we pray that thou might, Lord, give that help tonight. And oh, oh Lord, especially, especially, Lord, to those yet unseen. That I would, Lord, unstop the deaf and ears. They might hear the word of the gospel. They might hear the word, not of a preacher, but Lord, they might hear the call of Christ in salvation. Lord, that I would make that call even tonight so powerful. That Lord, that I will make them willing in the day of this thy power. Lord, we've read that. I can do that. And we pray that I would do it tonight, that I would cause a man or woman, young person, to turn their eyes upon Jesus, to look into his wonderful face. Thank you, Lord. The things of this whole world will then become strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Spiritual sight is very much what is in focus in the miracle that is found within this chapter. What makes it unique, firstly, however, is that here is a miracle that is not found in any other of the gospel accounts. It's only found in Mark. That makes it unique. That makes it special. The context of this miracle makes it clear also that the disciples of the Lord had not got a clear concept of who he was. You again would read with me verse 17. They're in the boat. They've already witnessed how the Lord has fed the multitudes. They reason among themselves that they hadn't brought the physical bread with them. And it says, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? There's the omniscience of Christ. He knows all things. 
even though they don't say these words in front of them. Yet they knew what they were speaking about. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye yet your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember? They needed a fuller appreciation of who Jesus Christ was. And there was this transition for them as the Lord didn't give them a full sight of himself all at once. But its uniqueness goes further than that. Now let me just say, the uniqueness of the miracle is not because of blindness. There was much blindness in the day of the Lord's earthly ministry. And many times over, the Lord would have been found helping those that were blind. They either knew the power of his word or they knew the power of his touch. And he could have done the same with this man, the case in point that I want to look at tonight, but he didn't. And there's good reason for that. As I've already said, there's a difference here and there's a uniqueness here with this instance. But men and women of All that you see as you read those few verses in this miracle is some physical healing by the Savior. Then you miss the great truths that the Savior is seeking to betray even through them. I've said to you before that the Lord uses miracles and he used miracles in order to illustrate the great truths of the gospel. And the Savior is performing these miracles as object lessons to convey the truth of the gospel to your heart and to mine and to teach those that were with him even when the miracles were performed. And the obvious truth here that the Savior seeks to impart to us is how God deals with the spiritual blindness of Adam's fallen race. For one of the consequences of Adam's fall into sin is that man has lost his ability to see God, to see the truth of God. And he needs to have his spiritual eyesight restored. The problem with mankind, however, is that they do not want to see the truth. Don't we read in John's Gospel that they love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And if their blindness is ever to be dispelled, And we bring it right down. If your blankness, sinner, is ever to be dispelled, then God alone must do that work. I can't do that work. The church, the denomination can't do that work. You can't do that work. God must do that work. That is what Christ did in this instance. And uniquely, it's a miracle in stages. When you notice, first of all, the care, It's obvious from this passage there were those who cared enough for this man to bring him to him who is the light of the world. You look at the words of verse 22. It says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Well, we don't know who they were. We don't know how many there were. It says, They bring him to him, a blind man. So there's more than one. And there's those who cared for this man. You'll notice the condition of this man's soul. He is considered by others. Because here's a man who was restricted. 
There was the, his inability to see for himself. He could not have made his way to where Christ was. And so others were to guide him. But as I've already intimated to you, the Savior is seeking to teach us valuable lessons about ourselves. And in this instance, that is by nature and by birth and by practice, we have no spiritual eyesight. We cannot see as we ought to. Because of the consequences of sin. His blindness to see the right way for ourselves. There is a way wherein man thinketh is right. But the end thereof, of course, are the ways of death. And therein lies the danger. We cannot see the right way for ourselves. We cannot see where our sin is taking us to. And how many are traversing the road of life tonight. Unaware that there is, they are but a step between them and death. And death for them will mean eternal damnation in a lost sinner's eternity. But they're blind. They can't see it. But the eyes of man are blinded not only to their sin and to where sin is taking them to, but the eyes of man are blinded to the Savior. There is one answer for sin. There's one answer for spiritual blindness, and that is Christ. But our eyes can't see. An unconverted loved one tonight, your condition is just like this man that we're reading about in this passage. You have a spiritual blindness. And like many, you feel your way to the house of God each week and you warm a pew and you take part in the externals of religion and yet all the time, blind to the beauty of Christ, blind to the need of the Spirit's work in your life and the devil would seek to keep you in that darkness for he does not want the light of the gospel to shine into your heart. But I remind you that there are God's people and they're concerned about your state and they're concerned about your soul and that's why they will seek to bring you before the Lord in prayer. But you know, there's also the limitation in view here. While it is commendable that there were those unnamed, yet they had a concern and a care for this man to bring him to Jesus, yet the, their words reveal that they sought to limit the Lord. And they sought to confine what he could do. You see, we read in the words of verse 22 again that they besought him to touch him. And the word besought there or beseech, it denotes that they were in earnest. But the problem is this, that they believed that a Savior can only heal this man by touching him. And these words are as much as trying to tell the Savior what to do and how to do it. They wanted the Lord to touch the man there and then. They believed that he should be healed in that very place by the touch of the Master. And they'd heard so much about this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. No doubt they'd heard that he had healed others and he caused other blind people to be, to be able to see. And they beseech him that they might touch him. And while the Savior could have done that, and he could have healed him there on the spot, yet he doesn't as we shall see, and that for good reason. And the reason why he didn't touch them in that very place was to teach them, was to teach us that the Lord is not limited in any way in the manner in which he works. There's none who can put the Lord in a box. 
and tell him that he must work in this particular way. He is free to do whatsoever he pleases. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? That must be seen many times over throughout the scriptures. Let me just give you the example of the nation of Israel and been brought out of the land of Egypt. In answer to the cry of Moses, the Lord was to do what seemed impossible and which demonstrated his power. For he was to cause a path to be made through the Red Sea. And it wasn't just a little narrow path. Don't forget the great numbers in the nation of Israel. And he caused the wind to blow through the night. And there was great walls of the Red Sea so that they walked over on dry ground. Does that not indicate to you, men and women, young person, that the Lord can do what no other can do? And he cannot be limited in any way or manner. Those who were cast into the fiery furnace, they were preserved. Not even, not even their hair was fringed. Not even the smell of fire upon their clothes when they came out. See, God can do what no other can do. And you know, there are those today and are guilty of doing that very thing, trying to put the Lord in a box. Do you ever hear of a people who have maybe heard of a particular minister or evangelist and there's been great blessing under, under their preaching and they've thought to themselves, if I could only get that man to, to my town, if I could only get that man to, to, to my district, then there would be great souls saved. That's limiting the power of God. And that's not how God works. And I've seen that in my own ministry. You see, men and women, God is but to speak the word as he did in creation, and it shall be done. And that can happen under the preaching of someone unknown, someone unheard of. For the Lord is pleased to use the weak and to despise things that no flesh should glory in his presence. These people try to limit the Savior in bringing the blind man unto him. And what they said, beseeching him that he might touch him. I want you to see, however, there's a separation here. You see, verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. The Savior didn't touch the man there and then. Instead, he took him by the hand. He led him out of the town altogether. He separated him from the crowd that day. He brought him out of the town. And I want to tell you, sinner, the only cure for spiritual blindness is when the Lord takes you aside. And you can be assured that he'll not reject you if you will but seek him and you will call upon him for mercy. He will take you by the hand. He will lead you until your feet shall touch that eternal heavenly shore. He'll not leave you short. For you see what the Lord did in separating this man from the crowd is what the Lord does for the sinner in salvation. You will never... You will never find salvation in this world because this world is enmity with God. 
I, 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 I love the way it is described for us. If you turn over to the Song of Solomon, sometimes maybe the Song of Solomon can be difficult for you to understand because there's a great collection of ones, different ones speaking. But if you just remember the Song of Solomon, it's a great book of Christ's love for his church. You have the key to understanding it. And so there's the shepherd, there's the king, and there's the Shulamite. There's Christ, there's the church. And the Shulamite is found in chapter 3, verse 1, speaking. And she says, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and in the broad ways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. You see, you'll not find the Lord in the world. Would you understand that? The watchman that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul liveth. It was but a little that I passed from them that I found him. Whom my soul loveth, I held him. I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. She didn't find him in the streets of the city, you see. She had to go away from that place. Men and women, you'll not find Christ in this world. But you will find God's salvation in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this world, into this world as a babe. One day he might go to the cross to redeem a people unto himself and it meant them suffering without the gate. And I want you to consider him tonight. Just as these considered this man who was blind and brought him to Jesus, I want you to consider him. For not only do you see the care, but you see also the cure. What the Lord did with this man outside that town, away from the crowd, we are told of in verse 23. Where it says, after he had took him by the hand out of the town, it says, when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Notice the manner in which this cure was particular, uh, was peculiar. It never was spoken like this before. It never was seen like this either. For the Savior was to take him and he was to spit upon his eyes. Now, that's not the only time that you read of the Lord's spittle. You find it also in Mark chapter 7. You turn back in the words of verse 33. He took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. There's a man that was deaf and dumb. You have it also in John chapter 9 where he spat on the ground and made clay to anoint the blind man's eyes. And of course we teach the boys and girls not to spit. But what we must remember here is that this is the spittle of the Lord of glory. 
And while there are many things that we do not know the reason for, and they're found in God's word, yet the Savior knows. And God uses this book, the Bible, that unbelievers despise that he might save them. He uses the foolishness of preaching, the cross, that which many will turn away from as something of shame and ignominy. He uses, becomes a means of life and salvation, you see. For God's power is glorified through such means as it is here with the Lord. And so we cannot fully explain the spittle but we'll have a good go at it. Because having spit in his eyes, he then was to cover them with his hands. And I know that. Because in verse 25, verse 23, you see, it says that he put his hands upon him. And that could mean any part of him, but it doesn't. Because if you look at verse 25, it says, after that he put his hands again upon his eyes. The touch to any blind man you will know is of utmost importance. And by the Savior touching his eyes that were blind, he was identifying the man's problem. And the Lord does the same thing spiritually. Because God's Spirit comes and convicts of sin and he puts his finger on you boy and he puts his finger on you young person on the very matter of your problem. What's the matter of your problem? It's your heart. For the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you can't sleep right and you can't work right because God is dealing with you. He puts his finger in your problem. The Lord put his hands on the very problem of this man. And following that peculiar action, the Savior then asked him a question. You'll notice he doesn't ask him how he feels. And you'll notice something else. He doesn't ask him, did he have some experience? And he doesn't ask him about his opinions. There's a lot into that carry on today. How you're feeling and how what you've experienced. He asked him if he saw it. Because you see, that's the real test. The true test as to whether the Lord has done a work in us is this. Has our spiritual eyes been opened? Can you see your guilt? Can you see the mercy of God? I want you to hold those peculiarities in your mind. The question might be asked, why did the Savior do these things? Is there any significance in the spittle of the eyes or in him putting his hands upon the eyes? You just consider the picture that is portrayed here of the work of salvation. You think of the spittle. We're drawn to think of that which causes men to be spiritually healed. What is it? It's the word of God. 
The sinner is brought out of darkness by which they, uh, they, they receive from the mouth of the Lord. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know from Isaiah, of course, that the word that goeth forth out of his mouth shall not return unto him void. And if I can take that a little further by extension, what is the word often likened to in the scriptures but water? It's the water from which no one will ever thirst. It is that which the Holy, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, I should say, uses to describe in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. For you'll notice he says this. He says that you might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He's speaking of Christ and his love for the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. For a soul to be born again of God's spirit, they'll be cleansed. They'll be washed from their filthiness of sin. What can wash away my sin? It's not the water of baptism. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. But the word is often used and spoken in terms of water. And surely that is symbolized here in the actions of the Savior as from his mouth went a spittle onto this man's eyes. And then accompanying that, of course, was the power of God. And that is symbolized by his hands being laid on his eyes of this man, the powerful hand of the Lord seen throughout the word of God. And that same hand can reach down and it can lift you up from sinner from your darkness tonight, from the mire of your sin, and it can set you for glory. What a picture we really have here of the work of God's salvation in life of any individual. But that which we also see with regard to this cure is that it was in stages. And indeed it is the first time that a miracle is recorded of a gradual or a progressive healing. The Lord could have healed him instantly. He often did. But he chose to teach his disciples. By inference, he chooses to teach us even a lesson in this. He wanted this man to express what had happened. When he asked him, could he see aught? Simply means, could he see anything? Then the reply, his reply is worthy of our attention in verse 24. He looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. He was given sight. That answers the critics who say that this is an example of an imperfect work of the Savior. But he said, I see. I see. His sight wasn't perfect for he said, I see men as trees walking. I wonder, did you see it? This man wasn't born blind. Blindness came upon him through in the course of his life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to tell what trees looked like or what men looked like. But his vision wasn't yet clear. But why stages in this miracle of the healing of this man? Will you just think if you're saved, or even if you're a new convert tonight, did you know everything at full at the point of your conversion? 
Did you know what the doctrinal words meant? Did you know the great truths of the gospel? The answer is obvious. And I can say tonight we still don't know everything. We're always learning. But we can see. Because the Lord has done the work. And like this man, our knowledge is but partial. He saw the light had streamed in, but he wasn't perfect, wasn't perfect until the Lord made him look up. I wonder, dear loved one, tonight, be honest before God, can you say it? Once I was blind, but now I see. If not, and look away from whatever you're looking at, whether it's yourself, whether it's some religious exercise, look away now by faith unto Christ to that perfect sacrifice that he offered unto God at Calvary on yonder tree and be saved. Make sure tonight ere you leave this house that your eyes are truly opened. And you can now see because you see, that's how I want to end. I want you to notice just the Christ here. From not being able to see to seeing with a distorted view, this man was brought to being able to see every man clearly. The Savior did not take more drastic measures than he had used previously in order to complete this cure. He just repeated the same. He put his hands again upon his blind eyes. And so often the Lord heals our blindness through the repeated use of the means of grace, especially the preaching of the word. He does it in stages. As he did with the work of creation. Doesn't mean his power is limited. What he did in the space of six days, he could have done in a moment of time because he is God. And so he works in the new creation of men and women born again of the Spirit. You see, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And this man was fully healed. It says he saw it clearly. The word in the original is taken from actually two words. It literally means this. Regently into the distance. He saw radiantly into the distance. No longer was he in darkness, nor even one who had a lack of clarity, but he now was completely cured. He saw all men clearly. And for the soul saved by God's grace, therein is a picture of what one day we shall experience. You know, the night is far spent. In this world, we travel as one by night. There's much that we cannot see. There's much that we cannot understand. There's much that we can only see partially. But you know, the day is coming in which we will see all men clearly. For when the Lord returns, we shall have that perfect spiritual eyesight and we will see him most of all. We'll see him who loved us and who gave himself for us. Tell me, do you have that hope? Do you have that prospect tonight? I can only presume that when this man's eyes were opened clearly, the first he saw was his, his healer. It was Christ. And when we'll get to glory, yes, we'll look for loved ones and we'll know them all and we'll know all the Old Testament saints and the New Testament. But first of all, we'll want to see the Lord. Have you that prospect? If not, dear loved one, 
And you need to get to Christ. Who alone can give you sight? Who alone can heal you? Backslider, your eyesight isn't as sharp as it used to be. But you know, there's hope for you too. You can be restored. And that includes your spiritual eyesight. It's the Lord to whom you need to return to. And I want you to notice the specific specific change here. There's a great change in this man. But in looking at that change, we'll note what the Lord said to him. Verse 26, he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. He wasn't to tell it abroad what the Lord had done. Remember, he took him outside the town by the hand. He healed him out there, away from the crowd. And now he's telling them not to go back into the town. That may seem strange. For we are to be those witnesses. And throughout the scriptures, of course, it's understood that we are to confess with our mouth all that the Savior has done for us. But why was this man told not to go in and tell it in the town? Because the change that would be made in him would be seen by itself. He wouldn't have to tell it. Others would see it. He was different. He could see now. He could walk now in a manner in which he couldn't walk before. He didn't need anybody to guide him. And the change would be most appreciated firstly in his own house. The Lord tells him to go home. And you know, so it is in God's salvation. When the Lord does a work of grace in the heart, it'll be noticed. It'll be seen by others. And in that sense, you will not have to speak about it, for such is the change that others will see it for themselves. None more so that firstly in your home, your loved ones will notice it first and foremost. They'll notice the change. Conversely, where there's no work of grace done in the heart, where there's no opening of the eyes spiritually, then there's no real change. It's like a critic one day pointed out to D.L. Moody, a man who professed salvation in one of his meetings. That boy came up to D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, and he was mocking, and he said, There's one of your converts, Dwight. And Moody replied to the man, Ah, you're right. He must be one of my converts because he's not one of the Lord's. You see, there was no change in the man. He was in a drunken stupor on the street. There's no change. Have you known that change in your heart and in your life? I want you to see not only that change, but the solemn charge here. And we've read it. He says, neither, verse 26, go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. He didn't need a crowd who had no eye for Christ to be around him. I think there's one reason why the Lord didn't point him back into the town. 
But maybe our greater reason for that charge is partly in what we find at the start of verse 22. It says, And he cometh to Bethsaida. That was the place where Christ had done many of his work, his works and his miracles. It most likely was also the place where some of his disciples also came from. But I need you to turn back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. This verse introduces what I want to get to. It says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done on you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. It was a town that had rejected Christ. A town that had rejected the Christ of God and the woe of heaven was now upon it. And their condemnation is seen in that the Lord charged this man who was changed not to go back in it again. Men and women, they have sinned away the day of God's grace. Neither go back into that town. Go to your house. Their last opportunity had been given. There will be no more witnesses to warn them. That's very solemn. What about you, sinner? As God calls again in mercy, what are you going to do? It may be your last opportunity. I don't know. You must come. You must seek him as Savior. And you know, this can be a breakthrough moment for your life. You may say, why you say that? Because I believe it was a breakthrough moment for Peter's life. That's why I read on a little bit. Because it tells us in verse 27 that he left Bethsaida, or he left outside that city, and he went into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and along the way he asked, Whom do men say that I am? Ah, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elias. Some of the prophets. Peter stands up. He says, Thou art the Christ. You remember where I started? In verse 17 and 18, they didn't fully understand. They hadn't a full concept of who Christ was. But the healing of the blind man was a breakthrough for Peter. This is the Christ. I wonder, will you confess him as Savior tonight? 
It'll be a night you'll never forget. It'll be a moment that will break through in your life that you'll never be the same again. Will you come? I plead that you will. I pray the Lord will bless his word even to every heart tonight for his own namesake. 232. Let's just sing a couple of verses. A sinner, the Savior is calling for thee. Long, long has he called thee in vain. He called thee in joy, and it's crowned to thy days. He called thee in sorrow and in pain. Let's sing verses 1 and 3. 270 is the page number. Let's stand as we do so. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank the Lord for Thy power that's evident even in this miracle. We can see the reasons why it was in stages. And, O oh God, we pray that Thou might do that work even in some heart tonight that there'll be that change. That change that will be seen, it'll be evident. Lord, that they will be sure that one day they'll They'll enter into that eternal harbor. And they'll reach that eternal shore. Lord, I pray that thou would have mercy. Cause that soul to turn while the Savior in mercy is calling. 
O God, answer prayer. Speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Put thy finger, Lord, on the heart. Convict of sin. Convince men and women, young people of Christ, in need of the Savior. For we ask these things in our Savior's name and for God's great eternal glory. Amen.